Psalms 116, 1 through 9, 12, and 16 through 19. A psalm of thanksgiving. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, uh, church. My name is Matthew. I serve as the pastor here at uh, Christ City. And uh, I uh, braved the, the uh, grocery store madness yesterday in anticipation of Thanksgiving. It was fantastic. Um, but I, I'm really, uh, I really am looking forward to this week. I, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine, a friend named Sam. Sam, uh, Sam and I go back about 10 years. Sam comes from an, uh, kind of an Irish Catholic uh, family. And um, Sam, when he was younger, just really, um, uh, he wrestled with, with addiction, with alcoholism. Um, and it really riddled his, his teenage years early on, like even his preteen through his teenage and, and into young adult years. It was, um, it was something that was actually quite common even in his family uh, and that had, that had in many ways been passed down by, by genetics and by example. And Sam was just in this space where he was realizing his life was actually slipping away, even at a very young age, because of he, this, this thing that had gotten on him and was in him and this, this addiction that he just couldn't break loose from. He was watching that um, he was uh, that he was just uh, that he was walking uh, slowly and in a grinding manner towards death, and that if something didn't change, that that was where he was gonna go. And so, in just a a, a place of of clear headedness and clear mindedness, he said, "I, I actually don't I, I don't f- fear death, but that's not really the story that I want told with my life." And so he found his way to AA and uh, uh, found his way into sobriety and. For the last several decades, he's uh, been walking that path of sobriety, but not just for himself. He's, he's also served as a, uh, as, a, as a sponsor for several others. I remember when we were living in Memphis at the time, Lisa and I went to Sam's birthday party, and I remember like 40 people there. It was one of the most wildest parties I've ever been to, which was remarkable because everyone was drinking orange soda. <laughs> they had, I remember leaving, they had a massive bonfire in the backyard, and this was like in a, like a suburban Memphis area, a massive uh, f- bonfire in the backyard, and because I, I remember when I was leaving, I looked over this house, and I could see the tips of the flames, and I'm like, that's, that's not going to end well, but I'm going to leave. <laughs> but while we were there, I remember there's like 40 folks there, and I realized, I just started going through, and I realized that half of the people that were at that party, they owed their lives to Sam. Because he had sponsored them, he had walked with them, he had pointed them towards health. He said, look, you've got life and death in front of you, you can go one way or another, I know what I'm choosing, but you're going to have to do this on your own. 
You're going to have to make this choice. I'll walk with you, but it's yours to make. And he, and he just would cultivate um, uh, health uh, and, and help walk with folks towards uh, freedom. I remember Sam telling me that um, every morning when he, when he wakes up, he just spends a few minutes just sort of centering himself, uh, meditating, and just uh, uh, really cultivating in his life gratitude. He would just, and it would just, he would say, man, I'll just take 10, 15 minutes. Uh, he said, I, I do 25 push-ups. That's all he does. He's like, I only do 25 because, you know, I got to stay in fighting shape. That's what he would say. I'm like, yeah, great, good, 25. That's getting you there. Perfect. <laughs> he said, then I would just, I would meditate uh, and just remember um, all that God has rescued me from and then all that he's given me now. And it would just reflect, it would just cultivate gratitude in that. And I remember asking him about that, like how, um, h- how is it that your sobriety is rooted in gratitude? And this is all in his life. I uh, was back there, this was some time ago, and uh, was uh, visiting some friends and was borrowing his car. And he actually got <laughs> this, he got a, uh, like a label maker and made a label and put it on his steering wheel uh, just so that every time he would get in his car and drive, he would be reminded uh, to be grateful right now. So whatever is happening, whatever I'm going to encounter, I'm, I haven't turned the key on yet, haven't made it out of my driveway, haven't encountered traffic yet, but what I want to know is right now I need to be grateful. If I'm going to walk towards health, towards healing, towards sobriety, what I need to remember is that I need to be grateful for all that God has done leading me up to this point. And then when I leave this driveway, I'm going to encounter some things, may get into an accident, may not, may get a ticket, may not, may uh, take a wrong turn, may get lost, may run out of gas, may fill up on gas, may go run an errand successfully and return back home. And at that point, what I need to do is I need to be grateful right now. Because he knew that what was behind him, what was in his rear view, was death. And it wasn't like, let me go back there and let me sort of remember this really hard season of my life. But it was very much to say, let me not forget all that God has done to bring me to this place. And what I need to do is I need to cultivate gratitude and be grateful right now. Within the AA community, there's this, uh, uh, this statement that they say that we need to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And this is very much linked to their health and their healing and their sobriety. It's, there's an old saying that says, if you've uh, forgotten the language of gratitude, you'll never be on speaking terms with happiness. The, the thing is, there's uh, this, this sort of homespun logic that has found its way into AA. It's actually being backed up in many ways by science. Neuroscientists uh, are beginning to establish a growing body of research that links gratitude with any number of health if, uh, uh, benefits. They're finding that uh, gratitude increases mental health. It increases emotional health. It actually increases physical health. It increases relational health. Your relationships are better. Several studies by Dr. Robert Emmons out of the University of California in Davis, uh, California, along with his colleague uh, Mike McCullough at University of Miami, in their uh, research, what they're finding is that uh, the neuroscience of gratitude, that they see that the body uh, engages in stronger immune systems. When we cultivate gratitude, when we get around this notion of I can be grateful right now, that what it produces is a stronger immune system, that it lowers our blood pressure, that we sleep better and we sleep in a more restful way. It increases our sense of joy and pleasure. It reduces feelings of loneliness and isolation. And on top of all that, for those that are married, this cultivation of gratitude, actually they're finding statistically that it increases the spouse's uh, uh, health and well-being as well. 
In one study of married couples, spouses of the participants in the gratitude group, they reported that the participants appeared to have a higher subjective well-being than the, the, the spouses of the participants in the control group. Stinks for them. <laughs> you see, the nurturing of thankfulness and gratitude, it sets us on a course of well-being. The, the flip side of this, by the way, if we don't cultivate gratitude, if we neglect thanksgiving, is what Wheaton Bible College scholar Hassel Bullock says about ingratitude, which, by the way, I think it's hilarious that his name is Hassel. Um, <clears throat> he says this, One of the great tragedies of the human spirit is to become a prisoner of ingratitude. For ingratitude shuts the human spirit up in a world lighted only by oneself, which is no light at all. Ingratitude shuts us up in ourselves, it creates a dark dungeon of selfishness that we can't shake loose of. Gratitude, though it changes the chemistry of our hearts, when we cultivate thankfulness, it, 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 it changes the, the architecture of our souls so that despite the fresh wounds of hardship and disappointment, we're still able to be thankful. The thing about gratitude, though, is that it's not... Um, it's not self-generating. It actually has its origins outside of ourselves, which is part of the beauty of it. You see, the thing is, I, I don't say, uh, you know, I'm going to cultivate gratitude today, and I am so thankful for all the things that I have done. I've done a lot. I'm really grateful for how awesome I am. Really grateful for uh, who I have made myself into. It's not gratitude at all. Gratitude actually has its origins outside of who we are. Gratitude doesn't have its origins in me, but in something outside of me. It's, what gratitude does is it helps me rightly orient and rightly reorient so that I might lift my gaze out uh, from myself and beyond vistas, not just me. Um, last week, um, Andrea shared an amazing message, and one of the tools that she presented towards us was the daily examine. A way for us to center ourselves and to remember, remember what God has done, to reflect on what God has done, what he's done in us, what he's doing around us, what he's done through us. And the first step in that daily exam and the first beginning point is to begin with gratitude. To lift one's gaze off of oneself and look around and to say, God, thanks be to you. A right review of the day, it doesn't start within me. It actually starts beyond me. Gratitude, it's a, it's a spiritual virtue it, that opens the door of the soul to the world around us. It's a force that causes us to look away from self and to look to God and to the wider community that's around us. That's the beginning point for us. That's the thing for which we are to cultivate. We're in the fifth of six weeks of the Psalms of our series of the Psalms called Songs of the Heart, we've been exploring a wide range of emotions of, uh, and a wide range of human experiences and, and the songs that result from those uh, uh, experiences and that result from the midst of life. We've explored songs of justice and hymns of hope. We've looked at lament and even self-reflection. And the purpose for all of this church is so that, uh, that God's word through these songs might actually shape our hearts and our souls and our living. That's that's the purpose of this, because that's the purpose of the psalms. This week, um, the psalm that we'll look at briefly is Psalm 116. It's what uh, Angel read. It's a thanksgiving psalm. 
Psalms uh, that have as their primary aim uh, expressing thanks to God for the salvation that God has provided. These, uh, these Thanksgiving uh, psalms, oftentimes they reflect a, a, a spirit of gratitude for some way that God's hand has moved. As we come across different psalms of Thanksgiving, we see that they're celebrating either some uh, military victory or some uh, way that God has moved over physical illness or health. We see uh, in Thanksgiving psalms that there's a celebration that God has preserved the reputation of the psalmist. We see also that they have delivered the psalmist from poverty or from sin or from brokenness and what has emerged what has uh, what has happened is that the psalmist has lifted their gaze off of their own experience and said thanks be to God for this a host of situations that the psalmist is in but the psalms in each situation they reflect a song of appreciation of of gratitude and indebtedness to God and his hand that has been at work the structure of the psalms we can even see this in Psalm 116 they often lead off with a report of crisis. In Psalm uh, 116, I love the Lord for he heard my cry. He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. There's a, an initial report of crisis. Um, there's also a, a move of deliverance. In Psalm 116 verse 8 it says, For you, Lord, have delivered me from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So it's not just a, 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 a cry for help. It's not just a cry for mercy, but that there's a legitimate deliverance that God has done. There's also a commitment. It, they conclude often with a, with a call to worship or a call to a vow of sacrifice. In 116 verse 18, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Because of what God has done, because of his uh, work of salvation in my life, I am going to live differently. I am going to walk differently in light of uh, this work that God has done as a display of my gratitude. The thing is, the chief difference, by the way, between uh, Psalms of Thanksgiving and Psalm of Lament is that in Thanksgiving Psalms, the rescue has actually already occurred. In Psalms of Lament, they're anticipating something that will happen in the future, that they're crying out for. In Psalms of Thanksgiving, they're saying, Lord, you have acted. And because of that, I say thank you. Psalm 116, if we can just look there quickly, the psalm begins, I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me and I will call on him as long as I live. It actually opens in quite a unique way. I, I love the Lord. Though many of the Psalms talk about love and God, often it's God's love towards us. This one takes a unique turn in beginning with the perspective of the psalmist that says, I love the Lord. It's, 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 it's my love towards you because he heard my voice. It's interesting, the tense that's used in Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2, it's actually the present perfect tense. This means that something has happened in the past, but it has continuing and ongoing uh, 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 impact and influence. It's not just something that happened in the past and stayed in the past, but it has uh, uh, influence today and into the future. The Jerusalem Bible, it translates these opening lines this way. I love Yahweh, for Yahweh listens. The verb is present and it's active. God isn't just listening at some point in the past, and he's not just going to listen at some point in the future, but he listened in the past. He's listening right now, and he will continue to listen in the future. And my response is to say, I love the Lord. 
The Lord heard my voice. He heard my cry. He turned his ear to me. What this uh, opening lines are trying to capture is the understanding that God hears our cries and he hears them still today. I trust that there's someone or someone's in the room that need to be reminded that God hears your cries. The ones that you said with your mouth, the ones that you said with your tears or with your gut. That he's heard them in the past, he's hearing them now, he'll hear them in the future. Thanksgiving's actually um, a, a personal uh, day of celebration for me. There was uh, one Thanksgiving, 17 years ago, where I actually proposed to Lisa. That's right, mm-hmm, Thanksgiving. I don't want you to forget when I propose to you, so let me do it on a holiday we celebrate. Now, when, uh, I won't give you the whole full story because it's quite embarrassing, but uh, what happened was I was finally able to sort of negotiate and lie uh, my way to get Lisa away from her family because we were all together at Thanksgiving. And when I got down on one knee and proposed to her, there is one word I was listening for. Will you marry me? Yes. When I got down on one knee and said, will you marry me? Lisa didn't say yes. She said something else. I'm not even quite sure what it was, but I think it was like, I'd be honored. I think it might have been absolutely. Do you? I don't know. I'd be honored. There you go. She said, I'd be honored. I got it right. Perfect. Boom. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) She said, I'd be honored. And I was like, and I asked. My follow-up was, does that mean yes? Because this day, if it doesn't, this day is about to be a terrible Thanksgiving day from this point forward. Because I was listening for yes, yeah, she said, I'd be honest, I said, great, so yes, yes, that means yes, perfect, good, Thanksgiving Day. The, we were married uh, five months later, April 21st, and so she said yes again that day. And she's said yes to me every uh, day since then, since that first Thanksgiving 17 years ago, since our first wedding day 16 years ago, April 21st, she said yes to me when we went on dates this week. She said yes to me this morning. She's going to say yes tomorrow and the day after that. Because the yes is an active and present verb. We weren't just married in the past, but we were married in the past, and it has implications for today and tomorrow. And when the psalmist says, I love the Lord because he hears my cry, it's that same tense. He heard it in the past. He hears me now, and he's going to hear me tomorrow and the next day. And then I can trust that I love a God who hears me. I can trust him. Verse 4 then I called on the name of the Lord, save me. Um, we can't, you can't quite see it on the slide, but you can probably see it when you open your Bibles. The way that the Lord is spelled in our Bibles is with all capital letters, L-O-R-D. I don't know why I spelled that to you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> don't you just get going? That ball's going downhill, and you're like, ah, just run with it. Um, but all of the capital letters, what, uh, what the translators are doing there, they're actually capturing a specific name of the Lord. It's actually his personal name, Yahweh. There are other names that God goes by uh, that are translated Elohim, Jehovah, other things. But whenever you see in the Old Testament, L-O-R-D, all in caps, they're using a very personal name. They're, 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 they're trying to communicate the God who is very close to us. At other points when you see it, um, just a capital L and then lowercase, it means that it's the name of God that's the more transcendent, that's the distant, that's the all-powerful. But the one that, that's all caps, that's the one that's very near to us. 
It's the personal name. It's, it's, it's Lord versus Lord. There's, um, there's power in names. Names represent more than just what we call a thing or a person. There's a, there's a deeper meaning. I, I want to walk through an illustration, maybe um, exciting for some of you, painful for others. Um, I am and have been a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, we have a wide receiver on our team. His name is Des Bryant. Um, don't worry about the name. His number is number 88. Um, he, uh, that's, that's Des. Uh, we appreciate Des in Dallas uh, because he's from Texas. He's kind of one of ours. Um, even when he sort of misbehaves, we're like, ah, but he's like our cousin, so we cheer for him. The thing is, um, one of my favorite, all-time favorite uh, cowboys is uh, Michael Irvin, who uh, was from a previous generation. I watched him growing up. He was also number 88. I liked, I liked, I liked Michael. He was a playmaker. Uh, he wore fur coats and was from Miami, which... I married a woman from Miami, and I could imagine myself wearing a fur coat in Miami, because <laughs> like, because why not, you know? So I just, I liked, I liked Michael. Uh, he, he wore number 88. The, the thing, though, like for my dad and, and sort of older folks, there was another wide receiver that was really, um, that carried the day, that won a bunch of Super Bowls for the Cowboys as well, Drew Pearson. Um, uh, he also wore number 88. I remember uh, when, um, uh, when Dez first came on the team, I remember my brother and I talking about this. I was like, man, you, he, that's not just a number he's wearing. You know, like 88, it means something beyond just a number that identifies one person uh, from another. It represents a history and a story and a tradition. And there were some games where I was like, man, Dez better change his number, man, he, or he better start catching them balls. <laughs> because it wasn't just a number, like it, it carried something, it carried a depth to it for those of us that followed the Cowboys. I remember one time um, when uh, uh, my son Nathan and I, we, we had to have a heart-to-heart. -heart. He'd made a bad choice or two, and I had to talk to him about it. And I remember saying, Nathan, uh, you, these choices you make, it's not just you, man. I said, I would ask him, I said, what's your name? He says, he says Nathan. I said, yeah. What does that mean? It's the prophet. That's right. I said, what's your middle name? He would tell me. What does that mean? It means I have to care for people. I said, that's right. I said, what's your last name? He says, Watson. I said, who else's last name is Watson in this house? He said, yours, Daddy. I said, that's right. Who else? Mamas. That's right. Who else? My brother and my sister. That's right. So when you come out of here, it's not just you. You're not just carrying you. And I know some of you are like, man, you put a lot on your <laughs> nine-year-old. You're intense. I'm like, yeah. But I had to... <laughs> Correction. <laughs> but it was as much for me, too. I don't just reflect me. I reflect the th those generations that are behind me. I reflect the ones that are over me, too. Because names aren't just identifiers, the way that we discriminate one person or one thing from another, that they carry meaning. And so the psalmist comes to it and he says, I called on the name of Yahweh. I called on the personal, intimate name of God and he heard my cry. I called on the name that is the one that created all things in the beginning. I called on the name of the one whose heart was broken in the fall in the garden. I call on the name of the one who parted the seas and led his people into the 
their salvation. I call on the name of the one who sent his son to die on the cross for the salvation of humanity in the right setting of all things. I, I call on the name of the one who at the end of it is going to set all things right. All things that have been broken will be mended. That's the name upon which I can call. And he hears my cry. And so from that place, by calling on the name of the Lord, I'm not simply calling on a strong man or some power outside of myself, but the psalmist knows that he's calling on the one who has saved in the past and who can save now and will save into the future. And that's what's necessary to usher me towards the rescue that I'm needing. The psalmist goes on, the Lord is, is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. At each verse in here, the author is using the personal name of God as further indication that he's calling on the one who is mighty to save. The personal Lord is gracious and righteous. The personal Lord, he protects me. That personal name is the Lord who has been good to me. Verses 17 through 19, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, Jerusalem. It takes a turn here and speaks about sacrifices and vows. Thanksgiving psalms have this uh, commitment to praise or to a vow that's, that's made in them. Gratitude, the thing about gratitude is that um, you can't just say thank you and then move forward as though something hasn't happened. Gratitude actually prompts a change in my life because of my rescue, because of God's intervention. I praise him. I will offer a sacrifice to, the, to him. Thanksgiving psalms for um, the ancient Jews, when they would be sung in public worship, they were often coupled with a Thanksgiving sacrifice, a demonstration of gratitude. Psalms of, of thanksgiving, they were, they were wed with uh, thank offerings. And these offerings were sacrifices that were made to God, often animal sacrifices to express that gratitude. Half of the animal was burned and then the other half became the feast for the people who remembered the work of God. And not only a sacrifice, but a vow to live a new life. There's a, there's a public declaration that may, that's made because one, God has rescued me, so I give thanks, and I will live in light of that rescue. Verses 8 and 9, For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Why? That I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. You see, the thing is, uh, God's rescue isn't for our mere survival just so that we can avoid death at one turn or another, but it's actually so that we might live a life well in front of God and in front of humanity. You see, the thing is, the cycle of uh, trouble and prayer and help, it actually isn't complete apart from specific public acts of gratitude. My friend Sam, again, just to finish it out, he, he never moves past his gratitude never gets away from it. It's always before him. It's a public display that is ever in front of his eyes, lest he forget the things that God has done. Ten years, 15 years into sobriety, he remains grateful and continues to cultivate thanksgiving in light of his own rescue. He seeks to cultivate gratitude and 
thanksgiving by pointing others towards uh, a rescue that is available to to him. As we, as followers of Jesus, look back into Psalm 116, we're able to see the full sense of God's rescue in the person and work of Christ. In verse 3, the psalmist writes about cords of death. In verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. In verse 6, the Lord did save. He provided rest. He delivered us. He freed us from chains. All of that presents for us on this side of it the fullest picture of what Christ has done for us. And because of God's mighty act of salvation and deliverance, we can be grateful right now and tomorrow and the next day. Even as we're sober-minded about the hardship that we've just come through or are in the midst of, we can still be grateful in light of it. In the fullest, clearest picture, because we have been rescued by Christ on the cross. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word of thanksgiving towards us. Even as we enter this week, where we look to um, remember and celebrate the things tangible, spiritual, relational, for which we are grateful. God, I pray, uh, I pray that you would um, show us, that you would um, stir in us gratitude, that you'd help lift our eyes from our own selves and help us see beyond ourselves so that we can see you at work and so that we, in so doing we step towards the people and the person that you want us to be. God, I pray that you would stir in us, that you would help us cultivate gratitude for the sake of our souls and for the sake of your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I mentioned that um, gratitude, that the cultivation of gratitude actually takes a public form. And if we're to rightly handle this psalm, a psalm of thanksgiving that would have been done in, in a public worship setting in its first iteration, then it's right for us to set a stage in which those of you that want to bear witness to the ways that God has, um, has been good to you, for you to do that. So I know that there are some of you um, that have a testimony that you just want to share So here's what I want to invite you to do. Right where you are, um, I want you to just, if you have a testimony of thanksgiving that you want to share, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin your, your testimony by just saying, I give thanks to the Lord because, or I give thanks to the Lord for. And then just share whatever is that thing that you're thankful for. And then when you finish your testimony, then congregation will reply, thanks be to God. And then the testifier will sit down and then whoever is next, stand up. You just stand right where you are. We're going to linger here in this space and let this be our response. Our public testimony, our public cultivation of an attitude of gratitude to remember what God has done in our past and that he hears our cries. So if you have a word of thanksgiving that you want to offer up, 
we surrender the congregation to you. So just stand and just begin. I give thanks to the Lord because the floor is yours, church. It's, a, it's quite a holy moment to remember the ways that God is, has heard our cries, the ways that he has moved in us individually and collectively as a community. And if you're here and you're, maybe you're like, man, I, I, I want to be thankful, but I'm just, I'm not, I just, I want you to know that the Lord hears your cry. He's acted in the past. He will act on your behalf. He has acted in the work and person of Christ. And in that, we can be grateful. We can, we can say thanks be to God. I celebrate with you, church, in the ways that God has been at work and the ways that he is working and the ways that he will continue to work. As we move through this, through this week and what this week means in the lives of many of us, let us cultivate gratitude. And even on the days when you don't feel like it, you can be grateful right now because of what God has done. Let me pray for us. God, we, um, this, is, this is quite a holy moment, Lord. My sense spirit is that you have been, that you have been moving, that just even as we sung in hopes, spirit, that you would break out, that you have in these subtle and tender ways for us. You have reminded us of the ways that you uh, worked this year. Even for some of us, it was a hard year, 2017. Others of us, it was a remarkable year. But in all of it, we see your fingerprints, God. We see that you've been working something something quite beautiful in us and around us. So in that, we publicly declare thanks be to God. In whose name I pray. Amen.